0: splendor and glory but God you created God you are the creator God you are the one who made all things and in whom and through whom all things have life God God and all the earth declares your praises all the earth declares that you are God and you are good Lord we praise you and we thank you our creator father In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated, and children, you're dismissed to head downstairs. going to be in <clears throat> we're going to be in Genesis 1. If you'd like to go ahead and have your Bible's turned there. Uh, a couple additional things. Uh, put a Bible reading plan in your in your bulletin. Uh, some of you are always like, man, where do I start? How do I go? Uh, so this is a Bible reading plan. If you go onto our website, um, there's a link I think under resources and I think there's about 10, 15 other Bible reading plans, so uh, this is a option, there are many other options, I just want to encourage you, I love Bible reading plans because they help give you direction, kind of help where you should go, Um, so I am a strong advocate of these, Um, so I just want to encourage you, also, if any of you are desiring one of these books, we will get it to you before the end of 16 weeks, That is the goal. Uh, This is the book we're going to use to guide us through this series. Um, And you can come up to me afterwards. We're selling them for five bucks. They cost ten bucks on Amazon. So you save a little money if you go through us. Um, Hopefully, you guys are at Genesis 1 now. So we're starting a series, and today is called Creation The King and His Kingdom. And our main point is God is the cosmic sovereign king who created and rules all things that he would be worshipped. So we're going to make our way and and see that truth through this scripture. Now, um, there was a time when a a new school teacher went to a new Christian academy and he uh, began teaching there. And on his first day of school, he asked the students that were before him, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? So all the kids kind of Look at him, and after a moment of silence, one of them raises their hand and says, well, my, "My name's Tommy. I don't know who did it, but I didn't knock down the walls of Jericho." <laughs> and so uh, the teacher just of kind of looks at it as, during one of the, the breaks, he goes and sees the headmaster of the principal and explains to him what happened. The principal says, "Well, Tommy's a pretty good kid." If he said he didn't do it, he really probably didn't do it. <laughs> now the teacher is, is pretty concerned. He's like, man, what, what school have I gotten myself into? So he writes a letter to the school board. School board responds with a letter saying, we're sorry that someone has knocked down the walls of Jericho. If you can provide some pictures and a cost, we will see about getting some money to help rebuild those walls. So it's, it's kind of this funny little uh, story, um, but there's an underlying truth there, and the fact is that there's many people in the church that do not know the story of the gospel. We all know, or many of us can say how long we've been at a church. Many of us know exactly where we sit because we always kind of go to the same place. Which is seriously why I love when you change seats, and I'll always come up to you and be like, "Hey, this isn't your seat," uh, because I, I, it's just I love when you guys change seats. It's a good thing. We should not get used to a certain seat. It's not our seat. Um, but a lot of times we come in and we, we know where we sit, we know the church that we go to, and we know how much we give, and that's about where it stops. And so um, that, that's a problem, and it's a problem that cannot go unaddressed. In John 8:31, Jesus says, um, "If we abide in His word, then we are truly His disciples." So He says, "If you abide in my word, that is proof, that is evidence." that you are my disciple. So a disciple knows God's word. A disciple um, loves God's word. An identifying mark of a disciple is that they know the word of God. And then Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that he's going to build the church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's this amazing news that Jesus says the church is going to grow and nothing's going to stop it. So we might say, well, man, how's this church going to grow? I mean, how is this good news going to come about? And if we keep reading through the Gospels, what we'd see is that Jesus is going to send out his disciples, the one that knows the Word, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to tell other people the Word, that they would also believe in the Gospel, that they would then tell other people that they would believe in the Gospel. And so what this means is that a disciple not only knows the Word of God, but they know it so they can tell it to other people people. So kind of begs the question, do we know the gospel story? And so I ask you, do you know the gospel story? Do you know the story from Genesis to Revelation? Could you walk someone through how we end up, how we begin in a garden and how we end in a city? Could you walk someone through the Mosaic, the Abrahamic, and the Davidic covenants showing how they make their, their fulfillment in Jesus. And some of you are going, the what covenants? The what's a covenant? Um, that's what this series is for. And if you're a new Christian, um, this is perfect. Because we're going to walk through um, the whole Bible, most of the Bible, a lot of the Bible. And you're going to get some good anchors here. You're going to figure out, okay, this is what happens here, and this is how it moves to this part. And ultimately, this is how it all finds fulfillment in Jesus. Um, now, some of you, you're here and, and you're saying, ah, I know I'm a Christian, but you don't know the gospel. And, and so my hope is that also through this series is that you'll actually come to know the gospel and, and truly believe in Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use this book, The Whole Story of the Bible, in 16 verses by a guy named Chris Bruno. We're still using the Bible, I know someone's going to come up to me and be like, so we're using this and not the Bible? No, we're using the Bible. This is a book written about the Bible, and it's simply going to be kind of like our tour guide. It's going to just kind of help direct our path through the Bible. Um, And the whole goal is that we would each have one of these. We would read it when we get them um, the week prior, and so we'd already be thinking about the week's message, and when we get here, that we would gain even more understanding. So again, if you don't have one of these, I encourage you to get one. Uh, if you're a husband and wife, maybe you can share. My family, we don't share. So I make my wife get her own book. Um, it's true. It's a true story. So we have sharing issues. Um, but I have, uh, I have some goals as we go through here. And let me just kind of share these goals. Uh, number one, that we would know the gospel story from Genesis to Revelation. We would know it. That we would know who God is and what He has done. And because of who God is, what He has done, we would know who we are and what we do, because all that's related. Um, that we would experience an explosion of affections for Jesus. I really want, as we go through God's Word and we're seeing how it all finds fulfillment in Jesus, I just pray that our faith, our affections would grow in Jesus. So maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a while. And you're just kind of sitting here, look, I know I'm doing this Christian thing, and I'm just not feeling this joy. I, I pray that through this, your, your faith would be revitalized. Some of you, you're, you're here, and you're on fire, and you're like, man, I just love the Word. I hope that this just stokes that fire all the more. That we would have increased boldness in living out the gospel. I pray that as we better understand, we would better desire to live it out, and that we would have increased boldness in sharing the gospel. I think many times we don't share the gospel because we're just... We feel ill-equipped. We're like, I don't really know the gospel. What would I say if they asked this question? So hopefully, this will provide a framework, help give us understanding that we would know the gospel. Again, um, also, if you're here and you're not a believer, I pray that through this series that you would come to faith in Jesus. And I pray that there's some who are here who think they're believers, um, but you're not. And that's true in every church. There's people who come, who think they're believers, who say, man, I've been going to this church for 20 years, and they're putting more faith in their church attendance than they're in the gospel. And if that's you, I pray that through this series that you would come to real faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's kind of the goals. This is the plan. We're going to make our way through the gospel. So today we're going to look in Genesis 1, but kind of do a little bit of a, um, a summary of, a, of the whole book. We're going to make our way, and we're going to get all the way to Revelation today. Um, Kind of like an intro um, to the whole series. So, what I want to do, I want to pray, and then we're going to stand and, and we're going to read the portion of scripture that we have out today. So, let me pray. Our Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us your word that we would know you. We thank you that you are revealing God, that you do not hide yourself, but you reveal yourself, and you love to reveal yourself. And you've done it through Jesus Christ, and you've given us your word that we would know your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we begin today, and we look in Genesis, God, you give us an understanding of who you are, and of what your story is all about. God, give us faith today to see your story, to love your story, to see how our stories fit into your story. God, give us humility today. God, convict us of sin today where where we may realize we're not living for your story, and we're trying to make our story so much more important. Give us wisdom, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. One of the things we do here is we stand when we read God's Word, so I want to encourage you to stand. Uh, We stand because we believe God's Word is like no other. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It comes from the breath of God. Now, we're not going to read the entire creation story, although there'd be great benefit in that. We're going to start at the very end of Genesis, uh, chapter 1. We're going to do chapter 1, verse 31, and go to the verse 3 of chapter 2. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You may be seated. Obviously, we're in the very first chapter of the Bible. Many of you know this, this portion here, this passage um, Genesis 1, it talks about creation. Genesis 2, Genesis 2 is also about creation. It's of the same account, but different ways to look at it. And if we had read all of Genesis 1, what we would see is that uh, God makes all of creation in six days, um, And some people like to take those days um, figuratively. Um, I'm a literal six-day. That's me. I believe it took six days. I believe God makes a mature earth. So that's my position, but we're not really going to get into that. Because the point, really, is that it teaches that God makes creation. And if we'd walked our way through this passage uh, of all of chapter 1, we'd see day 1, God creates light. Day two, God creates the heavens, meaning the sky. Day three, God created water, land, and trees, and flowers. Day four, God created the sun, the moon, the stars. Day five, God created fish and birds. Day six, God created animals and man. And six times as we'd go throughout chapter one, we would read the words, it was good. But then when we get to verse 31, God says, it is very good. As he looks at all of creation, he says, oh, this this is good. Verse 2 of chapter 2, we see that on the seventh day, God rests. He's finished creation, so he rests. Now, what's interesting is that on All the other days, days one through six, they end with this phrase. And there was evening, and there was morning. We see that in verse 31. If you look there, the very last line, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. That is the transition line to go to the next day. Every day has that except the seventh day. Did you notice that? The seventh day, it does not say that. Now, intentionally, the author repeats himself six times. So it would only serve to say, intentionally, on the seventh day, he does not use this phrase. Why? We're going to look at that next week. Uh, But I just think that's interesting, but we're going to look at that next week, uh, because next week we're going to look much more at mankind and why he made him, and we're going to look at this seventh day. But this week, um, we're going to mostly look at just who God is, and what he has done. How does the Bible want us to see God? God. So number one, God exists separate from his creation and before his creation. That's number one. God exists separate from his creation and before his creation. Now that's probably not new to many of us. In fact, some of us are going, okay, that was not very novel. That wasn't very original. Um, The Bible presents God existing in all of eternity, and then he creates. If we go to verse one, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, there's God, and he creates. So in past eternity, there is God who has existed. And it's crazy because we can't even fathom eternity. We can't fathom timelessness. Forever and ever and ever and ever in the past, God has existed. And then at some point, but you can't really say some point because eternity has no real time. So, and then he creates. And he makes. He makes creation. Now this is very different from Eastern religious thought, see Eastern religious thought would say that creation has emanated from God, and thus creation is part of God. This means that we could say a rock is God, a tree is God, a butterfly is God, this um, podium is God, coffee is God. Which sometimes, eh, eh. no, coffee's not God, but but that's 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 Eastern thought is that all of creation has emanated out of God, and therefore all of creation is God. But the Bible presents God very differently. We have a God, He's eternally existed, and then He creates. So He's distinct from His creation, and He's transcendent to all of His creation. This is why the Bible prohibits any worship of creation. All other religions, well, many other religions, will focus on parts of creation. Look at the sun, look at the moon, look at trees, look at parts of earth. But the Bible says, whoa, that's all created. has nothing about God. Well, it points to God, but it's not God. Which is why we don't worship creation. Number two, God is the primary subject of the story. Our Bibles are made up of 66 books. Now, these books are not like a set of encyclopedia books. If you grab a set of encyclopedias, did anyone have those when they were growing up? I think we had, oh man, I forget, the world, the world... World Book, that's what it was. We had the World Book, they were brown. We had, you know, 26 of them or so. I think maybe one of the letters was combined with one of the other ones. Um, But you can pick up letter V, read about volcanoes or VOG, which is in Hawaii. You can look up VOG later. It's pretty cool. Um, Some people are allergic to VOG, like my wife. So when she goes to Hawaii, she's incapacitated. Uh, So I can't take her there anymore. Nuts. I' have to take the kids. Um, but you can read letter V, and you don't have to know letters L, B, N, A, K, R. They don't necessarily connect to V. You don't have to know about these things to understand the letter V. But when we come to God's Word, we have 66 books that form one large meta-narrative, one large overarching story, so they're all connected to each other. They're not disconnected, but they all find truth together and in Jesus Christ. And the main character of the book is God, primarily God the Son, Jesus Christ, Which, if we went to the New Testament, we would see that when we read that God is speaking here, that's the Son speaking creation into place. Notice who is doing everything in chapter 1 it's not us, it's God. God's Word presents God as the primary subject, the primary character, the one in which everything revolves around. If we had read chapter 1, we would see a host of verbs like God created, separated, saw, said, called, made, set, blessed, and rested. He's the one who's doing everything, the one who names everything, the one who establishes everything. Everything is about God and what he is doing. There's no reading chapter 1 without understanding, wow, there's a God. He made everything, and everything points to him. Now, this is a truth that we easily forget. Because after all, when we wake up, what do we think about? Or who do we think about? We think about our day and what we need to do. When you're on your way to work, you ever get behind that person that's going five miles per hour slower? Do you pray blessings upon that person? Or curses? Why? Because they're slowing me down from getting from to where I want to go. These people obviously don't recognize I'm on a schedule. And they're not getting out of my way so I can get to where I want to go. Or have you ever come home from work and you... When you walk in, you you enter into some family, crazy, chaotic event that's taking place. And you're going, why did I just come home? And then when you do, your spouse might throw the kids at you or everything seems to come at you. And they say, you need to solve this. Take care of this. Do this. Do that. And and what is our reaction at that moment? Is it, oh, man, let me serve you. (laughs) Or is it, I haven't even crossed the threshold yet. Let me put my stuff down. I've worked all day. Do you not know that I've worked all day while you have done nothing but just hang around the house? Obviously, you're not looking at how my life is so important. You're thinking that life revolves around you. How crazy! Because life revolves around me. You see how easy, I mean, we think about ourselves so much. Do you you see that? I mean, so easy. Just look at what you get upset about. We have all these expectations. When those aren't met, we get upset. Because people aren't recognizing our expectations. But when we open up God's word, we're reading about a story about what he is doing. And that reveals him. We're not the center of the story. In fact, we're more like supporting characters and a much bigger character. In fact, only when we realize our role in the big story do we find actual meaning and purpose for our lives. So I have this rope. Chantley was kind enough, he's one of our army guys, he gave me like 10,000 feet of 550 cord, which is great rope when you're using, um, when you're going camping. So imagine we have this rope and it goes forever that way, and it goes forever that way. So this is my eternal rope, which is basically what it feels like to me. Um, And so this is time, in that type of sense, eternally that way, eternally this way, and and this is us, the tape. this, This is our tape. And this is how long we live in the eternal time that goes that way, and the eternal time that goes this way. And we live, and we're saying everything is about us. Does that make sense? And then then what we do is we work really hard for like this section because over in this section we want to retire. So actually this section is to make this section the best part ever that we live. And we're like, man, if we can just live right here, have everything that we want, oh, that's a good life. That, now we're really happy and we make everything for right about here. Now, if there's a really big story, and it goes eternally that way, and eternally this way, and this is how much we live, honestly, I could just kind of remove this tape, and would that really affect the big story? I mean, how big am I in this story? Am I the thing that that this story hinges on? The very fact that I think that everything revolves around me, when the story goes infinitely that way, and infinitely that way, that's pretty absurd, right? and yet that's how we live because of sin we want to make the most of this when god is saying no i want you to make the most of this because how you live here is going to depend how you live eternally this way so which one's much much more important but we want to live for the little piece of tape jared wilson he wrote a book called the story of everything And he writes, the meta-narrative, meaning the big overarching story of God's plan for the world, gives perspective and proportion to our personal narratives. Doesn't it? Doesn't it give proportion? I mean, we can think our 70 years is pretty big until we go, oh wow, it's eternally that way, eternally this way. He continues on and he says, But it doesn't diminish them, really. If anything, placing our stories in subjection to the sovereign story of God enhances them, gives them more meaning and residence. Do you see that? Only when we place this story in the story do our lives really begin to make sense. You see, God's not against our stories. He's not a killjoy, which I think a lot of us think he is. I think a lot of the world thinks, man, God's just against what we want to do. He doesn't want us to have fun. No, he's saying, I want you to live for so much more than this. I want you to live for the overarching story that's about me. God's not against our stories. He's against us thinking that our stories are not a part of his story. So what kind of story is God writing? Well, it's a story about God and his kingdom. And so that brings us to the next point. God rules as the cosmic sovereign king. In Genesis 1, God is the one who names things, places things, gives commands, gives dominion, gives blessing. He's the one who gives everything. No one's giving anything to him as if God is lacking something. There's no reading chapter 1 without seeing God as king. God is the one who fully creates. It's it's. Evident, nothing else in creation has creation power like God. And when he speaks, we don't just see smoke, but we see entire worlds blown into existence. And there doesn't appear to be any resistance to his will at all. We see this because we read the words, it was so. Look at verse 7. It says, "And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse." And what does it say? A little bit of help here. I told you, look at verse seven, people. (laughs) Verse seven, and it was so. Now go to verse nine, and gather. And it says, "Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place; let the dry land appear." And what does it say? See, you guys are picking up on this pretty quick. We're starting the new year off good now. So when God speaks, what happens? Whatever he speaks happens. Isn't that amazing? Does that happen for you? Laundry, be done. How awesome would that be? My wife is, like, still looking for this machine that not only takes our dirty clothes downstairs, washes them, folds them, and puts them back up again. I told them that's our kids, but um, so far they're broken. Um, But there's hope maybe Isaiah 46 11, God says I have spoken and I will bring it to pass I have purposed and I will do it isn't that awesome now so this is my plan later today this is big overarching grand meta-narrative plan I'm going home to watch the Hawks game that's it that's that's how awesome my day is and just so you know anyone who wants you can come over watch the Hawks game um, but is that going to happen because I said that's what I'm going to do now, I'd get a flat tire on the way home. I'd go home and find out that my galvanized pipes have, have weakened and blown. And there's water all throughout my house. Uh, a million things could happen that could prevent me from my plans. But when God says, what I, what I have spoken, I will bring to pass. I have purposed, I will do it. It's going to happen. It was so. And this is, this is what Job, if you read the whole book of Job, you come to the very end. And Job 42.2, this is Job's conclusion. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Do you know that? No purpose of God's can be thwarted. So the Bible's not just presenting God as king, but he wants us, the Bible wants us to see God as ultimate king, as the sovereign king, as the king who controls other kings, as the king who raises up kings to accomplish his will. Like Proverbs 21.1. I love this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. So this is the picture. You can go put water in your hand later and move it around. It does whatever you want, right? That's the kings in God's hand. You just, oh, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do this. In fact, Exodus 9:16, talking about Pharaoh. But for this purpose, I, God, have raised you, Pharaoh, up. So what purpose is this, God? To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, if you know the story of Exodus, we know that, that Pharaoh is an Egyptian king who hates God, rebels against God, does not want to please God, and yet God's saying, I am using you to accomplish my purposes that my name would be glorified all over the place. When you, go to the, when you cross the, the Jordan River and you get into Jericho, what do the Jericho people say? We have heard about your God, the one who crushed the Egyptians. God uses Pharaoh, the one who doesn't want to be used by God, to accomplish his will, that his name would be proclaimed everywhere. When we come to the Bible, we're seeing a God who controls everything. He's the cosmic sovereign king. And what we see is that he created a world which he rules. In Genesis 2 which we're not going to get into a lot today, uh, because we're going to save that more for the next couple weeks, we would see that God builds a garden also. And in this garden is where he places man. And so, while God rules all of creation, the Garden of Eden is in a sense like the kingdom of God. It's like a temple area where God's rule and his blessings are experienced by man. And so what does God tell man? I want you to go multiply and work the garden so that this kingdom would spread and fill the earth. So they're to multiply, Adam and Eve to have, children who have, children who have 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 children who continue to expand the kingdom of God so that one day it will fill the entire earth. So what we have is a story about a king who's established a kingdom, and his kingdom is to fill the entire earth. That's how we have, that's the beginning of this story. Now, we might say, well, that didn't really happen, did it? I mean, I don't see this amazing temple-like holy garden, like, spreading across the world. So, did God's plans get thwarted? So, over the next few weeks, we're going to see what happened, and how God's plans aren't thwarted, but actually he has a much grander purpose as the kingdom spreads. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, um, what we would see is that Jesus enters the scene. And what is it that Jesus is doing? What message is he proclaiming? Mark 1.15, Jesus preaches, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke 4.43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So what we have is Jesus comes, and he's preaching about the kingdom of God, and he's revealing the power of the kingdom. How does he do that? Well, he raises the dead, heals the sick, makes the lame walk, makes the blind see, heals the lepers, there is nothing that he cannot do. There is no force that is able to resist Jesus. Just as when Jesus is the one who's speaking creation, creation is not going. Actually, we don't want to make trees right now. Jesus said, "Make trees," and there's trees. Jesus said, "I need earth here," so there's earth here. He said, "I need sky," there's sky there. There's no resistance when Jesus comes on the scene. There's no resistance to his will. Remember when he's on the lake big storm he stands up peace be still storm's like no is that what it says no it turns into that awesome like glass surface that you all want to go water skiing on in fact what we see is that he's crucified which isn't against the will because he came to be crucified and then what happens does he stay dead No, he conquers death. So, not only is he able to conquer death for other people, but he's able to die and raise himself back up again. So, the kingdom that we read about in Genesis 1 is now being proclaimed by Jesus in the Gospels. And what we see is that all who repent of their sins, meaning repent of living for their kingdoms, and believe in Jesus and live for his kingdom, what happens? They become forgiven. They're adopted into the family of God. They become citizens of the kingdom of God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's about what does it look like to be a kingdom citizen. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And then what do these kingdom citizens do who have now been forgiven, adopted into the family of God? We tell others about the kingdom, that they would repent, believe in jesus also become citizens of the kingdom and do what tell others about the kingdom that they would repent believe in jesus become citizens of the kingdom so they would what repent believe in jesus become citizens of the kingdom so they would do what you get the point now what does god tell adam and eve in the beginning of the garden? Subdue creation, meaning rule over creation, multiply and fill the earth. You're going to take this garden, you're going to subdue subdue creation, meaning you're going to take this garden, you're going to move it across creation, you're going to fill creation. So in the New Testament, what we have is we have the church, Matthew 28, we go to the end of the gospel. Jesus says, I want you to take my name, my gospel, and you're going to go to all ends of the earth, multiplying and telling other people about the gospel. So they become citizens of the kingdom of God. Do You see it? We start in a garden where God says, I'm going to have you take my kingdom and fill the earth. It doesn't appear like it's working that way until we get to the New Testament and we see what God has been doing for these thousands of years in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes and he says, believe in me, and you remember, you're part of the kingdom of God. And then the kingdom of God continues to be spread. So what we see is that through the proclamation Of the gospel um, the kingdom of God is spreading to all parts of the world so the purposes in Genesis are being fulfilled right now this is where we live they're being fulfilled right now so has God's plans been thwarted no not at all in fact if we go to the end of the story revelation in Revelation 19 we would see that Jesus with a word not a war with a word, not a war, defeats all those who do not believe in him. Remember, there's a picture of the Antichrist and all these who don't believe in Jesus, all those who are part of the kingdoms of the world. Jesus shows up on his horse. There's no battle. With a word, he defeats them. Revelation 20, which kind of talks about the same story, then says Satan and all who don't believe in him are then thrown into the fiery lake for how long all of eternity and in chapter 21 we see that God makes a new earth new heavens which i don't believe he's going to like destroy this earth and like put it in a trash can and throw it away but i think it means he's going to redeem this earth make it new and so that this creation is going to be made new, where his kingdom will dwell. And God's kingdom is described like a giant mountain. If you go into Revelation 21, you read these measurements. It's this massive city. So we've gone to a garden, to a city. The city's described like a mountain, which mountains all throughout the Bible are places where God's presence are made known. So now we have this mountain-type city where God's presence dwells. And we read in Revelation 22, verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed, meaning all sin, everything has been done with, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Those are the citizens of God's kingdom. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So at the end of the book, We have God's kingdom. It's filled the entire world. His presence is made known everywhere. And citizens are filling this kingdom. And these citizens are all those who have been saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the story we're going to be looking at. God creates a kingdom. How does this kingdom grow and fill the entire earth? That's the story of the Bible. That's the story that God is saying. In our time, we live for his story, not our story. And that when we find meaning in his story, that's when we find real life and real purpose. But as long as we want to find meaning and purpose here, as if this is it, as if this is the goal, then we're missing the real purpose in real life. So we might ask at this moment, why? Why did God create? Okay, so he wanted this kingdom and he wanted to fill the earth. Why? Why did he want a kingdom that would fill the earth? What's the point? When we start talking about the purposes of God, we could could come up with a big list. But if we just kind of go to the big purpose, the one that runs through everything, we'd see what the next point is. God creates to display his glory for his glory. It's all about his glory. He creates creates to display his glory for his glory. Revelation 22.3, we just read this. What are the citizens of the kingdom of God doing? Worshiping him. They're glorifying Him. In Romans 1, we're told, all of creation points to God. Creation is like this giant painting and with every brushstroke God is doing. It reveals His glory more and more and more. In fact, I know very few of you have this book. <laughs> very few. That's my fault. Um, in, the, in chapter 1, it references Psalm 104. I think we, we read a little bit of that today. Psalm 104 is a Psalm about creation, but it's more than just about creation. It tells us about how God relates to his creation, and it shows what creation, how creation responds. So let me just read a little bit of it. But this is how Psalm 104 begins. I wanna encourage you, go back and read this whole Psalm later. It says, this is how it begins. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. So the psalm begins just glorifying God. Well, why are we glorifying God? What has prompted the psalmist just to to praise him? Verse 5, and I'm just going to read some different verses here. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never move. Verse 10, you make the springs gush forth in the valleys, they flow between the hills. You caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons. Verse 21, I love this one. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. I love that. Verse 24, oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creation. So he's saying, man, when I look at all creation. It just points to your wisdom, and your power, and your glory. So I went camping with a bunch of guys um, yesterday, um, Friday to Saturday, and uh, we go up to Olympic Mountains, and we're just looking for an awesome place to to pull over, and all of a sudden, like we were up about a thousand feet, and we move into this clearing, and all of a sudden, you can just look out all over the Hoodsport, and pass to the Puget Sound, and it's amazingly beautiful. That night, The stars are lit up, they're all about us, and we even talked about, man, just like what it was for Abraham, you're just looking up and God's like, count the stars, like, I can't. At that moment, none of us guys are going, man, I am so big, I am so amazing at this moment, look at how, I mean, no, we're all sitting there going, wow, you see this creation? This is awesome, look how beautiful this is, look at how much God has made. We're not thinking of ourselves, when you go to the Grand Canyon, you don't go, wow, I am big. Look at how amazing I am. No, you go, oh my goodness, creation is beautiful. So here the psalmist is going, how manifold are your works, how beautiful they are, In wisdom you made them all. Let me read a few more. Verses 27 to 30, I love these. I think this is what they read earlier. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they're created, and you renew the face of the ground. What do you see? All creation is fully dependent upon God, the cosmic sovereign king. All All of creation looks towards it and is dependent upon God so this is now how the psalm ends. Remember, he begins in praise. Why does he praise God? We see all this creation talk. So he's praising God because of creation. And at the end, verse 31, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. So here it is. We look at creation, everything points to the glory of God. Everything is about how beautiful he is, how amazing he is, how powerful he is, how strong he is. Right, The rightful response of man to God's creation and glory is to glorify him, is to worship him. That's why he made us. We're made in his image. And so we'll look at this next week. If God is most concerned about his glory and we're made in his image, what are we most concerned about? His glory. Let me give one more example. Psalm 95, 3 and 6, 3 through 6. This is a neat one. This one is neat because I like how it calls God King. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands, now look at in his hands are the depths of the earth. The height of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God and maker. Do you see it? We have the King. He's made everything. How amazing. What do we do? We worship and fall down before Him. God has created all things for His glory. He holds all of creation. He's the one who makes the seas, forms the dry lands. Now, today, many people, we try to explain creation apart from God. We want to say that it just came into existence, or we look for ways to explain God's creation apart from God. We do this because of sin. We do this because all of a sudden, we begin looking at our little time frame, and we want to make most of ourselves, not most of God. That's what we all do. That's how we're all born, because of sin. We're going to look at that more in two weeks from now, when we look at how sin came into creation. We were created to glorify Him, but the world today wants to explain God away. At this moment, you might be saying, okay, so we have a God. He creates everything for his glory, so he would be worshipped. Is that what you're saying? Yep, that's what God's word's saying. Um, is that a little self-centered or selfish? I mean, God's all about being humble and loving. And is, it, is that a good thing? I mean, God's all about himself? Well, who would you have God be all about? You? Me? This is what it means to be God. And that's what the Bible presents. We have a God who's perfect, who's holy, who's glorious in every way. He's full of life, joy, and love. He creates us so that we would share in that. So that we would experience His love and his joy. And we'd be partakers of that. So that as we make much of him, we would experience our greatest joy. To be God is to make much of yourself. And that's not a bad thing. Because only in God is there fullness of joy and love. We're going to look at that as we go throughout the story. So as we close, let me ask you, are you living... Your story for God's glory or your glory? If you're just kind of zoom out, maybe it's a good time to look. Okay, 2015. Who was I most concerned about? Was it more about my glory, about making my story, about making the goals that I want, or about living for God and His kingdom? Because of sin, we all naturally want to reject God. Our resolutions, if not careful, will all be pointing to ourselves. But this is why Jesus came. He came that we would have forgiveness of sins, that we could be made new, and that we could live for him. We're not meant to live each day trying to make our stories important. We're living because there's already a big, important story. There's already a grand story, a beautiful story, and God has made us so we would join him in this story and make much of him. So we're beginning the new year Many of you will make resolutions. I'm a resolution guy. I love resolutions. I think there is great point and purpose to them. Um, resolutions are, are really goals that we want, um, that we'd like to see accomplished in our life. And so how do we make resolutions that are not going to point to our stories, but resolutions that will point to God's story? So I, I would encourage us, think about how you're going to live this new This new year that we've been given, which is grace, every day that we have is grace. How are we going to live it for God's glory, for His story? Let's make resolutions that help increase our love and affections for the cosmic king. Let's make resolutions that we would intentionally help other people know about God and His kingdom. Let's make resolutions that 2016 would really be our greatest year yet on living for His story. Because I think we can look back and we can say, okay, I've been living for God. There's definitely areas that I'm not living for God. There's definitely areas where God's convicting me of sin. As I go forward, how is it that by His grace, I would live more for His glory and be part of His story? And I would have greater joy serving Him than trying to make much of my story. So I want to encourage you to join us as we go through the next 15 weeks now on unpacking this story. The story of God's Word. We do, I'm going to take some time for some questions. You want to throw up our, if you guys have questions, I want to answer any of those that we have. Um, And so I will uh, give a few minutes if any of you want to text. I'm going to pray um, and then we'll, we'll answer a few of these questions. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your word that we would know your story. God, you don't hide your story. You don't hide yourself. You make yourself known. Your creation points towards you. Your son Jesus came that we would know you. You've given us a book that is inerrant and infallible, written by your very breath, inspired by your um, prophets and apostles, that we would have your word and that we would know you. God, I pray that as we go through this year, that we would love your word and that we would We'd come to love your story, and we would love that our stories are about your story, and we would see how, how, God, we can live to make much of you. And that's not a bad thing, but that's a glorious thing, a beautiful thing. God, we thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ that you have not left us to our own stories, that because of sin and we rebelled against you, you did not leave us, but you have pursued us because your plans will not be thwarted, and your kingdom will fill this earth And your presence will be made known. And God, we praise you for that. Thank you, God. In your name, Jesus, amen. Got a couple.